Today we're going to return you for the very popular take-home messages from AUA 2018. Today's topic, Basic Science Benign, will be presented by Tanisha Mitchell. Good afternoon, members and guests, and thank you to the organizers for the opportunity to present the take-home messages for Basic Science Benign. There are 20 basic science physiology research sessions held this year, and this is not including symposiums and forums. Over 350 abstracts covering a range of topics, including stone disease, stem cell research, benign prostatic hyperplasia and infertility, as well as the other topics shown. The key themes for basic science research this year included the role of the microbiome in disease, as well as continuing to look at molecular, mar excuse me, molecular markers to understand disease pathogenesis, as well as using these markers in an effort to diagnose as well as predict treatment outcomes in patients. And then there were several abstracts that really focused on several um, different approaches to uh, provide therapeutic treatment to these different um, pathologies, including stem cells, exosomes, and pharmacological approaches using, using combination therapy. And so this time I'd like to highlight a few abstracts that really stood out to me. Um, in, general, in general, most of the um, abstracts were very novel and innovative, and I think this is something that we should be very proud of as a society, but I like to just focus on a few. So in the context of the microbiome, it was very um, popular in the stone disease uh, sessions as well as in um, excuse me, uh, as well as in um, interstitial cystitis. But the two abstracts that I like to focus on was from Miller and colleagues from the Cleveland, Ohio, where they uh, used a high oxalate degrading mouse model and they would provided fecal transplants to rodents, to mice, and then uh, gave these animals a high fat, high sugar diet with and without antibiotics for two weeks and determined that the fecal transplanted animals had a significant increase in oxalate degradation versus animals receiving the diet, or the diet with or without antibiotics alone. So from this particular study, it was determined that diet impacts microbial oxalate metabolism more than antibiotics, and this is a potential driving factor for the increased uh, uh, incidence of urinary stone disease that we see. In this same um, particular area, there was another group by um, Stern and colleagues from Bronx, New York, where they also did fecal transplant uh, models. And what they really determined was that the gut microbiome changes urinary calcium and oxalate levels. And this is really, uh, um, really occurs based on the expression of oxalate transporters. In the urodynamics session, there was a study by Zhang and colleagues from Taiwan where they used proteomic approaches, specifically looking at urinary chemokines and cytokines in patients with interstitial cystitis, painful bladder syndrome, and controlled subjects. And they found that patients with lower maximum bladder capacity had a significant increase in urinary cytokines compared to patients with higher MBC. Importantly, they determined that clinical responders had a significantly lower baseline urine cytokine levels compared to individuals that were non-responders. And also that um, they determined that there was differences in cytokine levels in patients based on their clinical characteristics. And the take home point from this particular abstract is that baseline urinary cytokines could predict treatment outcome in these patients. 
Another study by Peng and colleagues from Philadelphia assessed um, the role of BAP1, which is a tumor oncogene, specifically in tumor cancer, and they really wanted to understand the mutations in this oncogene or tumor suppressor and how this inactivates enzyme function in cancer. So they used a variety of multiple tumor types, um, as shown there. And as well as um, evaluated protein interaction and ubiquitin carboxy terminal hydrolase enzyme activity in these tumor types. And what they found was that mutations in BAP1 alters the ability of the uh, ASXL12 to bind and interact with BAP1. And so this leads to tumor suppression. And their take-home point was that small molecules may be useful to activate UCH in tumors as well as restore BAP1 function. In the benign prostatic hyperplasia session, there was a presentation by Wong and colleagues from Boston where they assessed the role of um, BMI and how it impacts the prostate gland in individuals that have a high BMI, particularly the androgenic to estrogenic switch. They focused or previously shown that the BMI correlates with steroid 5-alpha reductase type 2. And they really wanted to understand what happens when SRD582 is silenced in the prostate gland. Does this lead to the androgenic to estrogenic switch? And indeed, what they found was that um, the BMI is associated with the androgenic to estrogenic switch in human prostate, and particularly individuals with a BMI over 25 had a significantly elevated prostatic um, estradiol levels. So their research, um, or the research from this particular study shows and suggests that silencing SRD5A2 alters the hormonal status and this may modulate prostatic growth. And targeting estrogenic signaling may be effective in, over, in overweight BPH patients. In the stem cell session, there was a study from Korea that really wanted to um, assess the uh, potential therapeutic effects of using normoxic and hypoxic um, human bone marrow-derived mesenchymal stroma cells in the context of rad renal ischemia reperfusion. So they provided these particular uh, stroma cells to rats um, undergoing ischemia reperfusion, and they found that these stroma cells significantly reduced serum, serum creatinine prevented a decrease in GFR, as well as a significant um, decrease in fibrosis and cell death in the renal cortex and significantly increased glutathione, which is an antioxidant. So injection of these stroma cells via the renal artery protects the kidney during ischemia reperfusion, and this is something that I think that we should be pretty excited about. Another study by Wei and colleagues from China um, evaluated the role of adipose-derived stem cell-derived exosomes and their potential uh, ability to ameliorate erectile dysfunction in a rat model of type 2 diabetes. So what they did was they isolated these exosomes and treated rats um, with these exosomes and then assessed uh, different um, endpoints. And what they found was that there was a significant increase in intracavernous pressure to mean arterial pressure ratio as well as a significant increase in collagen and endothelial and smooth, mus smooth muscle markers and a significant decrease in apoptosis compared to control groups. So from this study, they found that ADSC-derived exosomes promote the recovery of erectile function in type 2 diabetic rats, and this is really achieved by rescuing the uh, cells and also inhibiting apoptosis. 
There was another study in the prostate um, cancer session that I thought was pretty um, uh, novel, was using combination therapy with EPI-002 and ionizing radiation for castration-resistant prostate cancer. And what they really wanted to test was if they used these two approaches and uh, treated human prostate cancer cells, would this have any effect on um, the particular cells tested? So what they found was that antagonist the combination therapy antagonized AR splice variants and full-length AR, and particularly the radiation treatment alone increased AR splice variants. And this may be a new therapeutic approach for treating metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. Another combination therapy abstract that I would like to highlight is from Madeleine and colleagues from New York, and this is uh, under the bladder cancer session. They used blue light uh, therapy in combination with cyst view to see if bladder cells, bladder cancer cells would undergo cell death. And so this particular approach is already used in an effort to detect bladder cancer is FDA approved. And what they found was when they used bladder cancer organoid cells and exposed them to the blue light plus the cyst view, there was a significant decrease in cell viability compared to other groups, in particular 97% versus 19% decrease in cell viability. So although this is currently used as a diagnostic tool, it could be a potential therapy to induce cancer cell death. So finally, in the uh, infertility session, a study by Tanaka and colleagues from Japan, they assessed the molecular changes induced by mere background in rats to totally cell primary uh, culture. And currently, mirabegron is used to treat overactive bladder in patients. And what they did was they took these cells and um, exposed them to mirabegron with and without a MAP kinase inhibitor. And they found that they found, excuse me, they determined that the ADRB3 was present in rats or totally cells, and mirabegron increased MAP kinase signaling path pathways. ADRB3 um, also was determined or suggested to be associated with spermatogenesis through P44, P42 MAP kinase signaling in rat Sertoli cells. Thank you. Today's topic, Trauma and Reconstruction, will be presented by Dr. Courtney Hallowell. Good afternoon, and thank you, uh, Dr. Manga and Dr. Thrasher, for this opportunity to present uh, the take-home message for the trauma and reconstruction uh, section. There were a total of 137 abstracts uh, in trauma and reconstruction this year. I'll be discussing six podium sessions, two poster sessions, and two video sessions. In addition, Earlier this morning, there was a lively plenary primetime session which included an update of the Society for Genital Urinary Reconstruction uh, Surgeons program along with a review of complex bladder and genital trauma and a discussion of the use of urinary diversion for complications of radiotherapy. There were several themes that emerged this year including gender reaffirming technical uh, surgical uh, techniques, the effect of radiotherapy on reconstructive surgery, conservative management of renal trauma, and the approach of complex urethral stricture disease. This multi-center retrospective national study 
of over 17 centers in France included 268 renal trauma patients who had urinary extravasation at the initial CT scan assessment that underwent early uh, drainage or conservative management. Conservative management was associated with good outcomes as 83% of patients did not require drainage of the upper urinary tract. Repeat CT at day six demonstrated urinary extravasation in 36% of patients, ultimately requiring delayed ureteral stent insertion in only 17% of patients. AUA Eurotrauma guidelines call for follow-up CT imaging after 48 hours for grade four and five renal injuries. A study out of San Francisco evaluated the utility of CT re-imaging in 118 high-grade renal injuries. Re-imaging with CT was performed in 32% of patients for clinical symptoms and in 68% of patients who were asymptomatic. In the asymptomatic group, intervention was required in 9.3% of patients, including stent placement for an expanding hematoma uh, and also for exploration and drainage of an enlarging hematoma. These findings support current routine imaging guidelines for high-grade renal injuries. Widespread adoption of non-operative renal trauma guidelines is perhaps evidenced by this multicenter retrospective cohort study of the National Trauma Data Bank from 2010 to 2015. They evaluated the initial management of renal trauma and analyzed the patterns and trends of management based on hospital trauma level designation. Early, uh, nearly 52,000 renal trauma cases were reviewed demonstrating outcomes of both low and high risk, uh, high grade bladder renal trauma. And they were similar across tiered uh, uh, trauma centers, uh, signifying uh, consistency in renal trauma management. Of note, the rate of nephrectomy has decreased for high-grade renal injury over their study period, suggesting a new adoption of kidney-sparing management. Hysterectomy is the most common non-urological surgery associated with iatrogenic genital urinary injury. A New York group of investigators queried the New York statewide planning and research cooperative database for women who underwent laparoscopic or robotic uh, hysterectomy, abdominal hysterectomy, and vaginal hysterectomy for benign diagnosis and required bladder or ureteral repair. Of these, of these 516,340 women who underwent hysterectomy for benign reasons, 7,488 patients had a concomitant GU injury. Minimally invasive surgery had the highest risk of bladder injury compared to abdominal hysterectomy and vaginal hysterectomy, along with ureteral injury having a higher risk of injury compared to abdominal hysterectomy and vaginal hysterectomy. 
mean per patient health care costs were increased from $15,808 without injury to $29,884 with injury for a total additional cost of $62.2 million. 78 patients from seven centers had repeat uh, reconstructive surgery for complications of female to male genital urinary reconstruction for, um, uh, at outside hospitals. Of the five complications studied after metoidioplasty, <coughs> phalloplasty, and or the combination of both, urethrocutaneous fistula and meatostenosis were the most common complications. An average of 2.1 presenting symptoms were found in patients status post male, a female to male gender affirming surgery. In, uh, a, uh, so this is a single surgeon series uh, from Cedars-Sinai, and they reported the challenges and uh, compared penile prosthesis plan, uh, placement techniques for 72 female to male patients undergoing gender affirmation surgery with phalloplasty. This novel technique included two-cylinder inflatable devices and a Dacron vascular graft with a proximal anchor to the obturator ramus. A distal in-anchor was created by inducing scar tissue ingrowth to buttress and immobilize the cylinders in the neophallus. To minimize the rate of infection, all synthetic devices and anchoring material must be explanted and all necessary neophallus revision surgery must be performed before penile uh, prosthesis placement. Outcomes include improved phallus volume and rigidity with a 17% explant rate, of which 12% were secondary to infection. Outcomes following posterior urethroplasty for pelvic fracture urethral injuries were examined in a multi-institutional cohort. Of the 436 identifiable uh, posterior urethroplasties, uh, 125 patients underwent posterior urethroplasty as a result of pelvic fracture urethral injuries. Most cases were completed via a perineal approach, while 5% and 2% required abdominal perineal or robotic approaches, respectively. The overall success was 91%, and after the examination of pre- and intraoperative variables, only pelvic angioembolization was associated with increased risk of uh, 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 increased risk of posterior urethroplasty failure. There were multiple studies on complex urethral reconstruction. A group out of Chicago presented a retrospective review of surgical approaches and long-term outcomes in adults requiring reoperative urethroplasty. Urethral stricture in patients with a history of hypospadias are challenging and the data published about management is really sparse. 
This study reports an initial success rate of 83 percent after a median follow-up of 9.5 years if a two-stage approach with buccal mucosa is employed. Another multi-institutional study examining the transurethral delivery and fixation of buccal mucosa graft to an internal ventral urethrotomy for the treatment of distal urethral strictures. In this initial experience, 87.5% of patients were recurrence-free at one year, with a mean operative time of 95 minutes. Several groups reported interesting data on the molecular characteristics of lichen sclerosis. Tissue samples were compared from 57 men with lichen sclerosis stricture disease, 23 men with non-lichen sclerosis um, uh, uh, urethral stricture disease, and seven, seven healthy controls. Positive Epstein-Barr virus staining was, uh, and, and the loss of androgen receptor expression were associated with lichen sclerosis urethral stricture disease compared to non-lichen uh, sclerosis urethral stricture disease. Finally, uh, there were many interesting of note videos that demonstrated uh, robotic bladder neck reconstruction uh, for a um, post-prostatectomy bladder neck contracture and a great video highlighting the techniques of gender-affirming vaginoplasty. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, and we will continue to bring you the take-home messages from AUA 2018 in upcoming weeks.